Good morning, everybody. Uh, as as people are coming back in, I, we're gonna we're gonna, before we jump into the sermon, we're just gonna pause for a moment. Uh, if if you don't know already, if you don't know the Wilsons, Carissa and Jeremy and their family, um, this week uh, little Matthew, their foster kid, uh, is, has been in the hospital sick uh, on a respirator. And so while we're here worshiping this morning, they're actually gonna be taking that out. And uh, and we just want to pray for him right now. We pray that that goes well. Pray for the doctor's care. Uh, and just pay, play the, or pray that that all just goes smoothly. Um, and so we're just going to lift him up together. So I'm going to pray for us. If you would just, or I'm going to pray for him. If you would join me, I'll pray with, for us. Um, our Father, we, we, uh, and we are thankful for this family that you've given us here. And this morning, even before we um, go any further, we want to lift up our, 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 our little brother in Christ. Matthew, and just pray uh, for him as he's um, been through so much this week, uh, already, uh, you know, just gone through a lot with the sickness, catching a virus. Uh, it's affected, obviously, him and, and his whole family. Um, we're thankful for the, the great community that he has, uh, people loving him, people loving the Wilsons. We're thankful for the Wilsons and how they love him so well. Um, this morning, as he comes off that respirator, Lord, we just pray that um, that it'll go smoothly. We pray that um, he'll, he'll continue to get better, continue to grow stronger uh, with his breathing, and that, and that even the worst of it is behind him. Uh, we just lift him up to you, God, for full healing. And just pray also for the family um, going through all this, the, the exhaustion uh, that must come with it. We just lift them up to you as well. We pray, Lord, that even in this, um, you'd be glorified. Even in this, you would be uh, shaping and changing hearts to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm just going to jump in. If you want to follow along with me, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, I mean, we're in the whole chapter, but I'm going to start with 1 through 2. Uh, and this will be on the screen if you'd like to follow along, or you can read also along with us in your Bible, of course. And it starts off, this is a pretty, a pretty famous uh, passage. You might recognize it. It says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you may remember a couple of weeks ago uh, on Palm Sunday, we looked through chapter 11 of Hebrews. And that's this chapter uh, in this book that's commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith, where we're pointed to the faith of all these different characters throughout the Bible. And, And what we talked about is that What was written there was not meant for us to seek to be like those characters, right? But to seek Jesus and see how he has bound us up into a family, not only together, but even with those who came long before us. And so that chapter is just a telling of like the sweeping good news of Jesus Christ, who the writer of Hebrews said back in chapter 1 is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature so that through Jesus, we know God. 
And so the invitation of chapter 11 is meant to inspire faith. It's not an invitation to go do something. It's an invitation to hear the good news of Jesus and let it permeate us through and through, to let him make himself known to us so that we will be inspired by who he is and what he has done and his faithfulness to belief, to assurance, to conviction, to confidence that he who is unseen is far and away greater than that which is seen. It's meant to uh, enlarge our perspective so that we see everything the way that Jesus sees it. And so this morning as we're looking uh, next into the next chapter of Hebrews here in chapter 12, the charge continues. And it leads us to look back and to consider how all those characters, this great cloud of witnesses, as the scripture says, all found their faith in God and looked to what he would do in Jesus, which was to deliver them from sin and death and from guilt and shame. They believed that he would save and that he would redeem everything. And these characters, it says, died believing that, right? They died believing that God would still deliver on all his promises somehow, some way, it would all happen. So Hebrews 12 points us back, and it encourages us towards such a faith, and it starts with this charge that we also ought to run the race with endurance by looking to Jesus. Excuse me. For the last few years, we've, uh, as a church, we've volunteered uh, at the Ironman race. It happens on a Sunday in September each year right out here on Broad Street. And it's a grueling race. If you know what it is, it's, like, it's a triathlon. The one here is like a half Ironman. And I just cannot even imagine how somebody could do a full one. Because the one here, being a half, they swim something like a mile in the river. And then they get on their bikes and they go something like 50 miles. And then they come downtown at the end of their 50-mile stretch and they run a half marathon on this track through downtown. And so our job as volunteers there is just to pass out refreshments to runners as they make their way around the course. And by the time they get to us, we're usually posted right up over there across the street. They've already completed the swimming. They've already completed the biking part of it. They're a few miles into the running portion, and they're just completely wiped out. Almost every one of them, just completely wiped out. Right? And this is a two-lap track, so they still got to go around again before they're going to be able to finish. And you can really start to see the impact of the race by the time they come around for the second time. You can see how they've contemplated quitting. Some are barely able to keep walking, much less keep running. But they've trained so hard, and they've already come all this way. So our job at the booth is to shout encouragements towards them, to, to try to motivate them to keep going. We try to get them cooled down with drinks and with ice. We give them food to help replenish them, uh, and we send them on their way. Who knows what prize motivates each one of the runners in that race? It's probably not the medal at the end as much as it is like some sort of sense of personal accomplishment or some maybe proving themselves to themselves or to somebody else, but there's some prize that motivates them enough to not give up on such a grueling race. And the writer of Hebrews likens our faith as a race. Like we are runners facing down like the pain and the exhaustion and the suffering of a long race. And he reminds his audience of the prize that Jesus is, that there is nothing better than Jesus, that he is life. And though we may feel winded and we may feel 
weak and we may feel like uh, taking our eyes off of him even for a moment when the pressures of life start to mount up on us, we should remember that we belong to God because of Jesus. We remember that we are sons and daughters. We are image bearers. We are children of God. And that we were created for the purpose of making him known, created to reflect who he is in this world. And so we were made with meaning, and we were made with purpose, and there's nothing that will satisfy us more than fulfilling that purpose. And the great prize for us is knowing that he is shaping us into who we are meant to be. Though it hurts today, we'll be more full of his life, we'll be more satisfied him, more satisfied in him. We will know him more and look more like him tomorrow. And not only that, but we can be sure that he will supply every need that we have to keep running. He always has, and he always will. Let's jump down to, to verses 7 through 11 in chapter 12. It says this. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are, in, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and life and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, the writer of Hebrews has been unpacking like this, this bigger picture, this bigger perspective, and if we can see it, if we can see that, that God, our Father, who exists apart from time and who knows us through and through, and who has known us that way and has made us to be a particular way. He has known us. He is related to us as, he will, uh, as we will be one day because of the person and work of Jesus, meaning this. God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, God has not related to us as we are, sinners and enemies of God. Rather, he came out for our salvation because his desire is to redeem our sin and deliver us from certain deaths so that we can live in right relationship with him forever and live as he created us to be, people who bear his image rightly. So he has been shaping us into our perfected self for our benefit and for his own glory, and he has always been doing this. And if we see this bigger picture, then we are armed with the knowledge and the wisdom that even in our suffering and even in our persecution and difficulty, even in our moments of exhaustion, even in our moments of pain, when we feel winded, when we don't want to deal with this faith thing anymore, or at least not just for today, even then, we can remember and know that even today's trial is for our good. So we can join James in chapter 1, verse 2-4 of the book of James and say, we count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We can count it all joy, because we know that even in this, this fire, and even in this trial, and even in this momentary pain, we are being made to be more like him. We are being refined, and we are being 
made into our perfected self. And this is an act of God's great love for us. When we have such a perspective, we can live like with a long view in mind. But let's take a look at chapter 12, verse 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Like I said, the, the, the writer here is calling us to a bigger perspective. He's calling us to have a long view. And so the call in this little bit of this passage is, is to not be short-sighted. We can't be short-sighted like, like Esau. You remember his story? He sold his birthright to his brother Isaac for a bowl of stew when he was starving. And so he gave away his future inheritance for a moment of relief rather than looking to God for his provision. And the call here to us is to not be short-sighted like him. Rather, we must seek Jesus and the opportunity to grow into his likeness in every situation, knowing that he's working all things together for our good. Now, I think it's just one thing to say all that stuff. But if we were just honest, it's often easier said than done. If you could think about it, what makes you give up? What makes you tired? What makes you stop running the race? What makes you want to put down your faith? What pulls your eyes away from Jesus? It's probably not a bowl of stew to relieve your hunger, but it could be something like sex to relieve your loneliness. Maybe it could be money to buy some pleasurable thing. Maybe it's a, a packed schedule to make you feel needed or valuable. Maybe it's a project that you feel like you, you, to, make you help, to help make you feel accomplished. There's, a, there's just a vast number of things that would pull our eyes from Jesus with the promise of like satisfying us with some fleeting thing that can never satisfy us. But every time we look away, every time we take our eyes off of Jesus, what do we really find? When you decide to give yourself the, the day off from Jesus in order to chase something else, when you steer clear of the Bible and you steer clear of prayer and you kind of dodge your church family and... Uh, how does that really go for you? I'll tell you how it goes for me. I end up lost in guilt and shame. I never find satisfaction apart from Jesus. It, I always find that it was a lie. And I know that, but still, knowing where I've ended up before, it's just not always enough to convince me to keep my eyes on Jesus in the present. Like I said, like not being short-sighted like Esau uh, seeing every trial as a joy, every pain as an opportunity for God to work in us, that, that's easier said than done. That's why I love this, this part in 14 through 17 that we just read. I'm going to read it again. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. 
that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing, and he was rejected. Do you, do you hear how it speaks to us as a community that we're not alone, that we're supposed to see to it, we're supposed to be there for one another in this, we're supposed to be looking out for one another? So when I can't see and I can't remember the good news of Jesus, somebody else can come alongside me and help lift my head to see more clearly, much like we're trying to do when we volunteer with the Ironman thing, right? And we're shouting encouragements from the tent. When you can't see it for yourself, somebody can come alongside you and encourage you and point you back to Jesus. And what is it that we need to see? We need to keep in mind and constantly have our eyes glued to Jesus. We need to see him for who he really is and what he has done and what he is doing. The writer of Hebrews hashes this out a bit more in verses 18 through 24, and I'll read that for us. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and a gloom and a tempest and a sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There's two mountains described there. The first one is Mount Sinai. Sinai was the mountain where God led Moses and the Hebrew people after escaping Egypt. And the sight and the sound of God's presence with his people at that mountain was absolutely terrifying. Because it made their true condition before God apparent. He was holy. He was pure. And they were sinful, and they were impure, and the two could not mix. This was a place where the guilt and the shame of their sin was made obvious, was made apparent. And they could not be anywhere near God without that guilt and shame being dealt with. It was always apparent that that they couldn't deal with the sin themselves. They could never be redeemed unless God acted on their behalf in some way. But this other mountain, Zion, The new Jerusalem, it's not a mountain like that because Jesus has come and he's lived and he died and he has risen again and he's made a way to cover our guilt and our shame once and for all as Hebrews has already unpacked extensively. So when we look to Jesus, we see grace and mercy, we see compassion, we see great love. He speaks a better word over us than the blood of Abel, which cried out from the ground for judgment, but the blood of Christ calls out for forgiveness, calls out for peace. When we look to Jesus, we see the king of the new kingdom that's above and that's beyond all kingdoms, that's ushering us in to perfect eternity. Yes, they're still shaking out of all that doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. 
There's a refining as he makes all things new. And there's a refining of us. Which means that some things that we go through and endure through here will likely be painful. Will likely be exhausting. They will be difficult. We will experience things like loneliness. But as we look to Jesus, we can find that we are not alone. We are highly valued by Jesus and God is with us. And he has brought us into his family. We have one another. We will experience feeling unvalued by others. We will feel weak. We will experience poverty. But like the author of Hebrews insists, all of this is the pain not of punishment, but of grace and of mercy. In every situation, we are being refined. We are being shaped by God into who he already knows we will be. And we're being called to keep this bigger perspective helping one another to do that as we look to Jesus and lean into his work in us and in the world. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we look to Jesus, what, what are we supposed to see that's going to help us endure faithfully? I think that like those at Sinai, we, we will look to Jesus and see the reality of our sin. We will see that we are just sort of covered up in it. But also as we look to Jesus, we will, we will also see the reality of Zion. We will see how God is gracious and he is merciful that he is good and we will see how he gives us every perfect gift we should see that we are kind of flaky and we're subject to change on a win but god never changes we should recognize that that we want is what is comfortable for us and we want what is glorifying of us but god wants what is best for us which is to find life and fulfilling our purpose of glorifying him. That's what running the race is all about. It's not about earning something. It's about realizing that all that could ever satisfy us is being completely made into who God created us to be. And that we only have the ability to fulfill that purpose of glorifying God as we remain in Christ and trust him to satisfy over everything else. And we know we can trust him because Jesus endured, even to death on a cross. And he persevered and he rose again and he has set us free from the chains of our sin and our idolatry so that we could live in and through him. The book of Hebrews is leading us to this bigger perspective, one that gives us like the confidence to believe fully that Jesus is better and that his goodness transcends our trials and it transcends our moments of difficulty what we should see is that he's doing a work in us to complete us and to perfect us and we can trust him we can even lean into him we must be open to his shaping us through the difficulties that we face if we're to stay and remain steadfast and let god shape us through the discipline we need to be armed with the wisdom that the writer of Hebrews is unpacking. And I believe this is one of the reasons that he gives us one another. Because it's all easier said than done. 
And we are meant to help one another along in this. Right? We're meant to strive side by side together for the faith of the gospel, as Paul says in Philippians. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to do a couple things this week. One is, I want you to like prayerfully listen to yourself. Listen to yourself through the week. Take some notes. How are you enduring? Like, are you looking to Jesus? Are you seeing the joy that's set before you? Notice when things get rough and are tiresome and are pushing, are you pushing through like with no issue at all? Or do you hear yourself starting to post up against God and start to look for escape, for some comfort? What does that look for you? Look like for you? Just identify those areas of weakness in your life. It's okay. We can be honest about our failures. We can be honest about our weaknesses. And then, I'd love it if you would share your notes with somebody else. Like, you can certainly remind yourself to look to Jesus. You can certainly prayerfully look to his word. Uh, remember the gospel of Jesus and remember that he has proven that he is always for you, even when it's hard to see it. But if you even just go back to those first couple verses in this chapter, it's so evident that this is something that we're actually meant to be doing together. That's the way he intends it. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look out for one another, it said later. There's a lot of us's in here. And we need to practice speaking the gospel into one another's lives. We need to hear the good news of Jesus from each other. We need somebody to help us see how Jesus may even be shaping us in our difficult season, in the pain, in the exhaustion. So like I said, just take some notes this week. Maybe just mental notes. Maybe you could write them down. How are you enduring? How are you looking to Jesus? Are you seeing the joy that's set before you? Identify those moments of weakness. And then, can you grab a cup of coffee with somebody, maybe from your missional community? Can you even just start a text thread with somebody, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and just unpack some of what you may find? Who can you share with? And who can you be there for in that conversation? Let's find ways to practice giving the gospel to one another when and where we need it most. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. And we'll do a few things. The band will come and they will lead us uh, in worship. And then we're going to come and we're going to take communion together. And as you come, there's a, there's a basket there in the back for giving, uh, which we make available. There's also a card there that says some other ways you can give. These days, a lot of people give electronically. That's fine also. Um, what we want to do is make sure that we are reminded to pause and remember God, our provider. Remember that check that maybe slips out of your account. Take pause and put it in there if that's the thing that you do. But remember that God is your provider. Remember that he is uh, taking care of you. And remember that gift that we're giving back to him and, and, and it's uh, worship of him. And then we're going to come and we're going to take, and you can come down the middle, and we'll take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. We also have the little cups with both in there as well. And uh, when we come and we take, we are taking the bread, which represents the body of Christ. We are taking the wine or the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. And we are remembering that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has done what he said he would do, that he is faithful, that he will always give us all that we need. 
And we, were, we proclaim to one another that he is Lord and Savior, that he is King of Kings, that he is on the throne. And we're remembering and proclaiming that we, he's made us one family and that he is perfecting us. And so we invite you to come, if you are, whether you're a member here or not, if that's a confession that you can make um, and, and take and remember and proclaim Jesus with us together. I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into that time. Our Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who really is, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of your nature. He's the word made flesh. He makes you totally known to us. We look at him and we see you love us greatly. You have great mercy. You have great compassion. You are gracious. You are just so good. We look at him and we see that you are faithful, that you are just. And God, I pray for us as a church that uh, you would help us to set our eyes on him and remember who he really is. Remember who you really are. Remember who we are to you, that we are your children, that you've come out for us, that you know us not as enemies. You died for us, knowing us as your child, as your children. And you have poured out that kind of love on us. We could trust you. You've never given us any reason not to trust you. Now make us people who trust you in life or in death, who would even be able to echo with Paul, like to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that we would be able to run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, before the joy that was set before him endured a cross, rose again, who has given us new life. In Jesus' name, amen.